What was the college football committee thinking when they left an undefeated team out of the playoff semifinals that has all of Tallahassee up in arms? A complete breakdown of what took place over the weekend with an astounding omission. The Niners flexed their muscles in Philadelphia to show that they may be the best team in the NFL, but I have a counter to that. And one that I've been discussing for quite some time. Let the NBA Cup begin as tonight features the first set of quarterfinals. Will anyone be interested? The Braves kick off the festivities in Nashville as the MLB hot stove should heat up with the winter meetings commencing yesterday. Need to get your sports fix? You've come to the right place, so let's get this week started on a high note. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast. On wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? Is happening, my good people. Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Here to recap another wild few days in sports to bring you up to speed on all that's going on. As this is the J Reels podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even. As early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And what a wild few days it has been, especially when it comes to the world of football, and in particular college football. And that's where I'm going to begin, because the committee for whatever Kool-Aid they were drinking, and I totally get that the winner of the SEC championship was going to get in no matter what. And that's what we can look at here, the SEC bias, because with Georgia out in their 29-game winning streak, and not being able to three-peat, all right, I understand some people in Athens may not be able to swallow that, but you figure that the champ was dethroned, they were not going to be able to get a shot to three-peat, and even though we could go back two years ago when Alabama beat Georgia in the same spot, but we'd have to look at the permutations at that time as to which teams that were on the outside could have snuck in, and that was the case where both Alabama and Georgia made it into the college football playoff. But that was then, this is now. So Georgia, we had an inkling that despite the fact Florida beat Louisville in a not-so-thrilling contest in the ACC championship and Michigan was going to take care of business against Iowa, so the focal point of the weekend was going to be Washington and the SEC championship. So as we saw with Washington, and we'll get to them in a little bit as they won their game on Friday night, but with Alabama putting up Just a stupendous performance. They were the better team Saturday afternoon in Atlanta against the Bulldogs. And they deserve to win the game. And when we take a look at it, do they deserve to be in this college football playoff? You could argue that. But not at the expense of a team that went 12-0, undefeated. I get it. The ACC is not the SEC. And that's where the committee, I feel, there was a bias to having the SEC in there. Because could you imagine if Alabama was not going to be represented here in the Final Four, there would have been outrage, not only in the SEC, but throughout college football overall. How could you put Florida State in there? Their quarterback, Jordan Travis, who hurt his leg a couple of weeks ago, isn't going to be in the game. The competition, if it was going to be Michigan versus Florida State, it was going to be a blowout. You're pretty much giving a red carpet to the Wolverines to get to the national championship. Well, have you seen Michigan's performance the last two years against 
Georgia, where they got smacked, and TCU, which they imploded and beat themselves and were nowhere near a championship setting. That's number one. And number two, look at the last two years where you had Cincinnati, a team that deserved to be there, but we saw there were no contests for Alabama in the semifinal. And then last year, TCU, who, by the way, lost their conference championship game. And in the process, they still got into the Final Four. Now, we'd have to take a look at the teams that were on the outside looking in. And I'm sure there could have been an argument for one team leapfrogging over the Horned Frogs, no pun intended, in order to get to the semifinals. But TCU deserved to be there. And as you saw, even though Michigan vomited on themselves in that semifinal game, but they did get to a championship game, and we saw what happened as they got taken to the back of the woodshed by Georgia. But with all that being said, when you have an undefeated team, and even without their quarterback, they deserve to be there. Alabama, kudos to them. Just a marvelous performance there. I know a lot of people are going to say that that was Nick Saban's best coaching performance, even in that particular game, although they had beaten Georgia a couple years ago, as we talked about in the SEC Championship before losing to them in the national championship. But to me, I was just sick to my stomach knowing that Florida State did not have any representation. They couldn't look at the body of work of them beating again. I understand the dregs of the sport. Clemson isn't what they once were. And even though Louisville, they're not the Lamar Jackson-led team from many years ago. But they did beat LSU. I understand that was Labor Day weekend in week number one. And LSU did not have a good year for their standards. But for Florida State to be on the outside looking in is a travesty. Because we can look at recent history, whether it was Cincinnati two years ago, and them making it even with a perfect record. And last year, TCU, with them losing in the conference championship, still making it into the Final Four as an underdog, as a Cinderella, if you will. And even though Florida State doesn't belong in that category as a Cinderella, but guess what? This is the last year that we're going to see this format because next year we know it's going to be expanded to 12 teams. So these conference championships aren't going to mean anything. And to think that if Alabama, they could be put on ice for one more year and then get another crack at it next year and for years to come. But for Florida State to not get this opportunity and Coach Mike Norvell, who was sick to his stomach and he felt even sicker for his students, has every right to bitch, moan, complain, as well as everybody out of Tallahassee and the state of Florida to know that the Seminoles are not going to have a crack to see whether or not that they can continue their perfect season and, quite frankly, a miraculous season because although this isn't Florida State of the 90s, of Bobby Bowden, of Dion, of Charlie Ward, of all those great players of the past, but for them to get an opportunity to see if they do belong in this class with Michigan, Washington, and Texas... Would have been great to see. And it's just a shame to think that the committee, for whatever the reason, turned the blind eye on the ACC, on the other teams that probably could have been represented. And on top of that, to have Alabama back there, which of course I can't stand, and they're going to play Michigan in that 1-4 game where you'll have Washington and Texas. All I could say is this. This is Michigan's time to show and prove that they belong not only in the Final Fours we've seen over the last couple of years, but more so now at this stage of the Jim Harbaugh, if you want to say experiment, or especially during his tenure, and who knows if he's going to be back after this, especially if he wins a national championship. And I understand I'm getting way ahead of myself. But the point of the matter is, is that now let's see Michigan, who, as we just chronicled, got spanked by Georgia, And had no business losing that game last year and just gave it away to TCU as a late Christmas gift. Now let's see if they can take the Crimson Tide, mano a mano, toe to toe, and see if they can come out victorious to finally get to a national championship and see if they can bring back any of the prestige that Michigan, and it's weird because they only had the one championship or really half a championship in the last zillion years, but now we're going to get to see front and center if Michigan is going to be that team that's going to take it all away. And in a nutshell, that's what we have here. Now, we could talk about the games in totality. Friday night, Washington did a great job after the big lead that they had, 20-3. And then, slowly but surely, here comes Oregon chipping away. And then at 20-17, when they stopped Michael Penix on a 4th-2 and in Oregon territory, what happened there? The 
Ducks go down the field, punching into the end zone 24-20, and that's where the test and true will of this Husky team was going to be showcased for the whole world to see because if they didn't score on that next drive, again, up 20-17, and then Oregon goes down to make it 24-20, for them to get that first lead after the right out of the gate getting those points and getting a 17-point lead as they headed into the second quarter or in the second quarter, and then for them to go down the field to get the big touchdown to make it 27-24, they tack on another one on their ensuing drive, and that gave them a little breathing room, even though Oregon answered back, but they couldn't get another opportunity for them to get some first downs, move the chains, get to at least field goal range to tie, and then of course, they just ran out the clock there late in the game, and Washington, deservedly so, makes it into the college football Final Four. And I thought Oregon, even with the big point spread, I believe they were a nine-point favorite going into the game, which to me was a disrespect to Washington. And that's another thing too. Not to say I jumped on their bandwagon because I'm not an an Oregon Duck fan, but because everybody thought that Oregon was going to win, and even with the point spread, that nobody probably believed in the Huskies except for the guys in that locker room. And what did they do? They showed you some toughness, they showed you some metal, and obviously some gumption for them to have that big lead and then to spit it all up in order for them to come back and then even pad on to their lead was just a fantastic job by Washington and getting past that game. And I knew it was going to come down to Washington and then Alabama because if Georgia would have won, we already would have known who the Final Four would have been. Texas wouldn't have been there. It would have been Georgia. Florida State would have gone in. So with Texas having the one loss, and if people are wondering, hey, if Texas has one loss, why are they in the Final Four and not an undefeated Florida State team? Well, remember, Texas beat Alabama way back in the early part of the year. What was it, late September? And they beat them in Tuscaloosa. So that's the reason why you see Texas there with the one loss. And obviously Alabama has the one loss, but them winning the SEC championship. And that explains why Florida, again, is out. And you can understand that. And of course, we don't like it. But that's the way the cookie crumbles as far as the committee goes. And then the Alabama-Georgia game, what could you say? To me, it turned on that big fourth and four, that pass from Jalen Milrow, where Isaiah Bond, who was the hero the week before, and that's the game you're going to look at, people, if Alabama goes all the way. Not the SEC championship. The fourth in goal at the 31, the touchdown to Isaiah Bond in the left corner of the end zone down at Auburn. That's going to be the play that if Alabama wins in the semifinal against Michigan and then a national championship overall, which I'll be sick to my stomach, that's the play that everybody's going to circle and look at as the one that put them into this situation. But for Alabama, after that big, I believe at the time it was 10-7, that pass to Isaiah Bond where if it was dropped, the Bulldogs would have had the ball there and the momentum on their side. But as it was, that completion, and then they punched it into the end zone to make it 17-7, and they had to go uphill, Georgia that is, for the remainder of the game, and they fell short. What could you say? Alabama was the better team. Defensively, they were stout. They had no answers, the Bulldogs there, on offense. And think about this. From the opening drive where Georgia punched it in, you probably thought to yourself, oh, Georgia means business. From that point on, it was all Alabama. And now the Crimson Tide are here again. They're the boogeyman. They're the devil. They're that one fixture in the horror film that you wish that they would have been able to cut the head off and let the body die. hate to use that analogy, but which we would have seen just a week prior against Auburn. Well, guess what? They are back with their tentacles, with their knives, axes, and you want to even put the Freddy Krueger blade with the fingers, scissor hands, whatever you want to call it. They are here. And now we have a few weeks to chew on it, really almost a month when you think about it, when they meet on New Year's Day and we have plenty of time to get into that. So before I even get into some early, I don't want to say predictions, but maybe just a bit of an early preview of the semifinal, those are the two games, like I said, it was going to be the Pac-12 championship and the SEC championship that was going to determine what this Final Four was going to be. And you had some chaos there with the way Alabama won that game. And as we see... They are going to be part of this Final Four. And then the other two games, I couldn't get into Michigan-Iowa or even the 
Louisville and Florida State. Those are games that were eyesores when you think about it. Michigan wins 26-0. Iowa couldn't move the ball an inch. And even though they played well defensively, they only gave up 213 yards. And they are a very good defensive team. But boy, they are, they're not even from hunger. They're in a wasteland somewhere in the football Siberia or desert to where they have no luck. They have just no offensive ability. And I believe, what did they have, 150-something yards in the game? And we understand Michigan has a very good defense, but boy, that was just one that you had to avert your eyes. And the same for the ACC championship, for that matter. Louisville hung around, and I thought, even with 3 nothing, that Florida State had that lead. And even at 10-3, I said, all we need is a turnover here. All we need is just something just to turn the fortunes of Louisville for them to get in the game. And then it would be a toss-up, but that wasn't the case. Louisville was unable to muster anything offensively. And therefore, Florida State was able to win the ACC championship and now are crying, and rightfully so, in their towels to know that they're not going to have an opportunity to play in the semifinal. And that was your weekend in a big nutshell. Now, as far as the bowl season, which you'll have Army-Navy this Saturday, of course, the big-time, long-standing rivalry, and then the bowls will start shortly after that. As I've said in past podcasts, I'm sorry, I can't get into these bowl games And we could even look at Georgia against Florida State as one that, who knows, if they, if the Florida State somehow beats Georgia, and I can't see that right this very moment, then they're really, and I'm sure, who knows, they may be bitter, they may be just disgusted, but watch them go out and put a whooping in Georgia, who knows, they may not be up for this game, they may look at that loss as like, oh, well, you know what, I'm not going to be playing, or players that may be going on to the NFL, they may even just pass on playing this game which of course will put a damper on it especially if Florida State wins but even if they do happen to win whether it's 2-0 50-49 to or somewhere in between if Florida State wins they're even going to show the world that who cares that if a lot of these players jump ship and did not want to participate in this final game before going to the NFL we still beat Georgia so keep that in mind as those two teams will play somewhere before the January 1st semifinal But when we take a look at the Bulls, and like I said, I'm not going to get into every little particular matchup and game, etc. It's all going to boil down to what happens there, New Year's Day, 5 o'clock, 8 o'clock, Michigan, Alabama, Washington, Texas. And to me, Alabama, they have house money. Let's start there. And who would ever thought that an Alabama team would have house money is beyond belief, but Michigan has all the pressure in the world. I don't care what Jim Harbaugh is going to say or how he's going to poo-poo this thing. They're the number one seed. First time they're a one seed here in this setting. And all the pressure is going to be on Michigan to win this game. And right now, on the surface, I don't know if they're going to be up to the task. Of course they will come game time, absolutely. But this was probably the worst matchup. To me, this is going to be similar to two years ago when they went up against Georgia. And that was before Georgia won their first title. So think about that. So all the pressure on the Wolverines and Washington, Texas, who knows what this game could be. It could be a shootout. It could be a game that could be in the 20s. Who knows? But I'm sure Washington, that was a big win for them Saturday night and they, or excuse me, Friday night. And they have more than a puncher's chance to beat Texas here. And Texas is going to be a live dog here because they have the quarterback, Quinn Ewers, who's had a big year, and is going to have all the Longhorns be represented there, you would think, because the Longhorns have not been in this scenario in quite some time. Remember, the last championship goes back to Vince Young, 2005, and that epic championship game against USC. So we have plenty of time to chew on this. We'll certainly have a preview, what would be late, that Thursday before the New Year's Day matchups, and... Here we go. College football now will take a bit of a pause. I know you have the Heisman this coming Saturday, which could be Michael Penix Jr. based on just his performance here over the course of the year, but now winning this game. And I would think a lot of the votes may have been in by now. Off the top of my head, they probably have been. But I think it's going to boil down between Penix. You would think Bo Nix from Oregon, the quarterback there. Who knows if Jalen Milrow could be one of the final few that could be in the mix for the Heisman. So we will see how that shakes down New York Athletic Club this coming Saturday. I believe it's this Saturday. It's the next one's usually the second Saturday of December. So that's what we have with the college football. 
And as I turn my attention to the pros, and yesterday, the big game, as we all know, and we talked about it not only last Monday, but also on Thursday, San Francisco and Philadelphia. And as we saw, maybe there was a big chip on the shoulder of the Niners dating back to January when they had to fly cross-country to play in an NFC Championship game as we saw Brock Purdy get hurt in the first offensive series of the game. And we all know that the... Eagles went running away onto a Super Bowl and the Niners were left wondering if they had their healthy quarterback and what the outcome would have been if he was in the lineup for four quarters. Well, now you got to see that yesterday and all that was, was after a slow start, now the Niner offense couldn't get clicking, but once they did, after two field goals by the Eagles, and then it was just touchdown after touchdown after touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, Not one, not two, not three, not five, but six straight drives to where it led into pay dirt. And the Niners showed who's boss and maybe even arguably who the best team in the NFL is. And I've been singing the praises of the Eagles over the last few weeks, talking about how they've had a lot of resolve, a lot of toughness, that even though they haven't really blown out teams this year the way they did last year, and they certainly, I don't want to say are a far cry, but definitely not the dominant team that we saw throughout the NFC and throughout the entire league up until the Super Bowl last year, well, they certainly got a comeuppance and certainly got a beatdown. But the Eagles, they've been living on the edge here over the last few weeks because when you look at what happened in Kansas City, they had a drop ball by Marquez Valdez-Scantling right at the end of the game, which they could have lost. And they trailed by 10 points in that game. And then, of course, last week against Buffalo where they were down 10 again and they came all the way back. They needed a miraculous 59-yard field goal just to push it into overtime. And then they had the direction there where Gabe Davis went left and the ball went right where if Gabe Davis would have caught that ball, the game would have been over. So they certainly have had nine lives here throughout the course of the last three or four weeks. You want to throw in some games early in the year where they could have lost to New England week one. And in Washington, they took them into overtime. And you could certainly argue that. But the Eagles, for whatever the reason, they weren't able to punch those early drives into touchdowns and it kept the Niners alive to where, who knows, if it was 10-0 or even 14-0, the Niners probably would have had to change the game plan just a smidge because it was still early on. But one thing, now it's time to throw cold water, people. You know Jay Reels. If there's one thing about this Niner team, and I've talked about it time after time after time after time, This is a front-running ball club. Whenever they get a lead and whenever that offense is clicking, they are tough to stop. All they got to do is look at the tape against the Bengals where Joe Burrow threw the ball all over the lot and they had no answer. And Brock Purdy actually threw for big-time yardage in the game. And you could say a lot of that could have been in garbage time. But see how they play against those type of teams, especially with a good defense, the Brown game in particular. And I get it, that was in Cleveland, although the game against Cincinnati was in their building. But whenever they get into a rock fight or to an extent where they're going to be trailing in the second half or certainly deep in the game, the Niner game plan gets thrown off kilter. It's not the same team. They're not going to make those stretch runs that you see a lot that Kyle Shanahan got from his dad from his days in Denver. You're not going to see that defense fly all over the field, especially when they're going to be trailing. They're going to play a little bit tighter. They may not play as loose. And as you've seen there, against the Bengals in particular, and even you want to say the Viking game, because Kirk Cousins, I believe he was played in that game, that was right before he got hurt, and we saw what he did against that Niner defense, granted it was on the road, I understand, but when the Niners are on their heels, they're a different team, but boy, when that snowball starts going down the mountain, they're impossible to stop, and that's what you saw yesterday. So combine that with the Eagles living on the edge a little bit, not playing as crisp in these games and having to come from behind to win these games. And anytime you try to come from behind, especially against the Niners, it's almost impossible to do so, even if it was in their own building yesterday. And I get it. You had the rain. You had the muck. Back-to-back weeks for the Eagles because remember, they played in those same conditions against Buffalo last Sunday. And that's what you have. And that's no excuse for the Eagles. They were due to lose. They were due to have one of these type of games. But now the schedule really gets interesting. They have a Dayton Dallas, which could be for the NFC East when it's all said and done. Now, Dallas' schedule gets harder on the back end where the Eagles will start to lighten up a little bit, even though they have to go to Seattle the week after. 
But they have the Giants for two games sandwiched in with Arizona. And huh, you know I'm going to get to them in a little bit. While the Cowboys have to go to Buffalo and to Miami. And also to Washington for that matter. And I understand that the Commanders, they're probably going to be... And they're already a dead team walking when you think about it. But I'm sure that's going to be their Super Bowl. The final game of the regular season where the Commanders will probably get up to do whatever it takes to beat the Cowboys in that... Week 18 matchup, but for right this very moment, that's going to be a fascinating game, and you have a lot of fascinating games and scenarios down the pike where you have Baltimore and San Francisco, two teams that mirror one another. To me, because they're both front-running type teams that want to play from ahead and not from behind, so you have that to look forward to, and then you have an AFC picture, which we'll break down in a second, an AFC picture that is looking very muddled, especially when it comes to the wild card, and even at the very top two, because Kansas City last night... And I didn't really watch. I was in and out. And then I just turned it off. But I know it was a wild ending. And finally, the Chiefs did not get a flag. I get it that they could have gotten a pass interference on Marquez Valdez-Scantling. But they didn't get that, which would have set themselves up in very good position. And even as it was at the very end, generally when you have Hail Marys, you never get pass interferences. And in this case where Travis Kelsey got bumped in the end zone, but that was well before the ball got there. And unless it's super egregious, unless the receiver or tight end is getting mugged, literally picked up and thrown to the ground before the ball gets there, they're never going to call that. When have you ever seen a pass interference called on a Hail Mary? I'm waiting. Still waiting. It never happens. It really has to be blatant for everyone to see in order. And I get it. We can look at the fail Mary that happened in... Seattle, now remember, that was with the scab refs because they didn't come to an agreement there with the refs that are week in, week out with the NFL. They were on strike, so therefore, you had those scab refs and that's when the everybody was up in arms and everybody went crazy and I believe a deal was consummated the next day to get the actual refs back into the mix. So, Phil Mary aside... You haven't had a scenario where there was a situation that anytime a receiver, even a running back, tight end, etc., when they get bumped or mugged, we'll use that term, they never throw a flag on that particular play. But the Chiefs lose, so that certainly puts an interesting wrinkle at the top of the AFC, which we'll break down a little bit later. But as we get through these games from yesterday, and it wasn't really a stellar schedule, although you had a couple of interesting games I know Thursday night, Seattle hung in there and they could have won that game, but they just ran out of gas. They were no match for the Cowboys. We understand they play very well at home. Dak Prescott's going to get a lot of buzz now for MVP as he's continuing to carry this Cowboy team to for them, hopefully to maybe a championship in the NFC East and dare I even say maybe a one seed. Now they would have to have a better record than the Niners because as we all know, the Niners beat them head to head. So any flat-footed tie at the top of the NFC, they were going to lose that one seed, but it will certainly help for them to get a two seed because that means they'll have an opportunity to host two home games as opposed to hosting no games and having to play on the road as we saw last year when they had to go to Tampa and then had to play in San Francisco before losing. And even if they beat San Francisco, they would have to go to Philadelphia to see if they can get to a Super Bowl. So we understand that that is the tougher road to get there. And I'm sure that even if they don't get a one seed, They would be very happy to host two games potentially in their building before having to go to San Francisco to play in an NFC Championship game, which obviously will bring back all the memories. And we get it, they played the last two years in the wild card round, but the conference championship is a whole nother level. The catch in 82, the NFC Championship games of the 90s, the three straight years from 92 to 94. So all those memories are going to get dredged up if those two teams meet in that setting. But that is a well down the road and we can't even predict that far on whether or not those two teams will face off against one another in late January but you had Dallas win again and they have their date with the Eagles Sunday night 820 pretty much for the NFC East because if the Eagles win they'll have the tiebreaker over Dallas because of their win in Philadelphia earlier this year and if Dallas wins then we're looking at Not only a flat-footed tie at the top of the NFC East, we'd have to break down the permutations as far as tiebreakers go with the conference records and, of course, the common opponent. But we'll worry about that then. But that is an enormous game, as we all know. Other games of note yesterday, 
I know the Colts won a big game in Tennessee, and yes, that's not a sexy matchup, but for them to come out of Nashville alive with a win that puts them in that muddled AFC when it comes to records of 7-5 and five with Pittsburgh and with Cleveland, and now throw Indianapolis in the mix, that is going to be a Royal Rumble to the very end, and Pittsburgh and Indianapolis will play each other in two weeks, so that is going to be an enormous game when it comes to playoff implications, but for the Colts to get out of that game, and no Jonathan Taylor as he has a thumb injury, who knows when he's going to come back, and give it up for what the job that Scott Steichen, the head coach has done, and without having their quarterback there, Anthony Richardson, the rookie, for him to not be able to play due to, I believe it was an arm injury, it's so long ago I actually forgot, but with Gardner Minshew, and how the Colts have been able to hang in there and win these games. I understand it's a bad division, but give them a lot of credit for them to continue to hold the fort and play in a division where they're not going to win because they got swept by Jacksonville, but they certainly can get themselves a spot and a berth in the AFC, and that was a big win after Tennessee missed a field goal, tied at 25, they're late in the game, and then with the... Titans winning the coin toss, getting a field goal there on the opening drive. And then for the Colts to answer back with a touchdown to get out of Nashville with a win, that was as probably as big as a win. I get it, the opponent is awful. But anytime you get a division road win, no matter what the record is, no matter how good or bad they are, that is one that you're going to put under your belt and be proud of. And that is a win that is enormous for the Colts and their playoff chances. Then you have, should I even trim the fat right now? Chargers and the Patriots, seriously? 6 nothing. I didn't watch an inkling of this game, so I couldn't even tell you what happened here. The Patriots, they may be the worst team in the sport, and that's including a Carolina team that has one win worse than the Patriots. And I'm going to talk about the Patriots in a little bit because they have their next game is Thursday night, and let me just get right to it. Pittsburgh had an opportunity to play against a team that was 2-10. and 10. Come into their building. A dead team walking, I might add. And even though James Conner was coming home, the Pittsburgh product who played high school football in the Pittsburgh vicinity, went to Pitt, obviously played for the Steelers his first few years of his career, went to Arizona a couple of years back, and knowing that I'm sure this meant a lot to him, And I bet that the teammates and even the organization probably knew that this was going to be a big welcome back for him to play in that stadium, to be in that city where he grew up, etc. And I'm not trying to make James Conner out to be Walter Payton. But for whatever the reason, and this is a quote from the head coach, the Steelers weren't bad yesterday. They weren't awful. Mike Tomlin came out and said, that this was a horrible day at the office. That they were the junior varsity. And if you think he's not going to whip this team into shape. And oh, by the way, they have a short week this week. Where they have New England coming into their building Thursday night. Which is not a marquee matchup for the Amazon Prime folk. And one Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet. But if the Steelers, after that just dreadful. And I understand Kenny Pickett. Rolled his ankle to the point where he was in a walking boot. And who knows what his status is going to be for the game. Which is going to hurt even more. Because Trubisky. Mitchell Trubisky that is. You can't trust him as far as you could throw him. As you saw by that snap there. Right out of the gate there in the second half. To where that turned the whole game around. And if you want you can even go back to the drive before the half. Where the Steelers at 3-3 were ready to punch it in. Had first and goal. And the next thing you know the goal line stand to where Najee Harris got stuffed on fourth and goal, and the Cardinals had to go 99 yards the other way with about 4.50 to go in the first half. And this isn't the Kurt Warner, Larry Fitzgerald, even Edgerin James late in his career led Cardinal teams of that Super Bowl year. How ironic, Arizona, Pittsburgh, Super Bowl, etc. No, this was Trey McBride, Marquise Brown, These are guys that you couldn't even pick out of the lineup offensively. And we understand that Kyler Murray with his legs extending plays and elusive scrambling, etc. But for them to march 99 yards down the field to punch it into the end zone, 
right before the half to make a 10-3, and then you want to compound that with the fumble right out of the gate to where the Cardinals were able to hit pay dirt again to make it 17-3. The Steelers did nothing the rest of the way. Just an abomination. No matter how you slice it, dice it, ugh. And I was in and out of this game because there were delays left and right. Obviously with the weather, it started off sunny, then you saw the rain come down, then it was thunderstorms, then it looked like it was hail, etc. So the game didn't end until maybe 5.30 because of the delays. But I got off it, the Steelers, and that was just an atrocious performance. And I've seen some bad Steeler games this year. We could talk about week one against San Francisco where they had one yard up until that final drive right before the half where they scored a touchdown. Well, the game in Houston where C.J. Stroud just lit him up and the offense couldn't muster up a touchdown, let alone just two field goals as they lost 30-6. to And the game against Jacksonville, yeah, they slept walked through that. They lost 20-10. to That was just a ho-hums, boring, putrid effort by the Steelers. But boy, yesterday was the bottom of the barrel. They took their opposition for granted. Certainly did not come ready to play. Maybe they looked at ahead to think that, all right, we got New England in a short week, and then we have a mini-buy heading into the crux of their schedule, where it's going to end three of the final four on the road, where they have to go to Indianapolis, which is going to be a playoff game, like I mentioned. That is going to be the Christmas Eve Eve, that Saturday afternoon. Then they play home against Cincinnati, all right, but then they have to go on the road to Seattle, which is not going to be easy, and then at Baltimore, which if they had any shot for a division, they just threw it up yesterday because with them beating Baltimore early this year, and even if they would have won yesterday, there would have been a game behind them with Baltimore having a bye, and at least it would have been within an arm's length of maybe week 18 having a shot for the division, but you could kiss that goodbye because there's no way that with two games behind and even with the win head-to-head that the division you could just punt and say goodbye. And let's see. Belichick has Tomlin's number. It's been tough sledding for the Steelers against the Patriots. Brady or no Tom Brady. And if you don't believe me, week two last year where Pittsburgh was 1-0 after winning their opening game and then they had the home game against the Wingland where you thought, all right, maybe they could be 2-0. Mac Jones, maybe a little bit of a regression. Uh-uh. Thanks to Gunnar Olszewski with the muff punt that led to a touchdown, which pretty much iced the game for New England at that time. And for whatever the reason, the Patriots have the Steelers number going way back to even Bill Cowher, 2001 AFC Championship game, 2004 AFC Championship game, all the regular season games. And yes, the Steelers have won a smattering at times. But still, Belichick has owned Tomlin and owned the Steelers here throughout the course of his career. And could I see this being any different? I could see this being another nail-biter right down to the nub to where hopefully it comes down to a game-winning field goal situation or maybe, dare I even say, a rocking chair affair because the Steelers need a laugher. And a laugher for them would be like 23-10. to So the Steelers could barely crack 20. They could barely crack 10 points. So who knows? This game may be 10-3, 10-6 written all over it. So... We'll have to wait and see. But enough on the Steelers. I just had to vent and get that off of my chest. But that AFC is going to be a logjam. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But other games from yesterday. Tampa's put themselves in the mix there with a win against Carolina. And I know that was kind of a weird, crazy game. I didn't really follow that. Again, who's going to follow a Panther team that is 1-11 right now? And even with Tampa still within an earshot of and NFC South, and I believe they have a big game upcoming this week, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they have the Falcons that they play, and we'll look more on the schedule there come Thursday, but Tampa keeps their playoff hopes alive, really division hopes, because they're not going to get a wild card when it's all said and done, but speaking of a team that did me a favor yesterday, and certainly has wild card aspirations of the Rams, and I picked them as an under this year, and give it up for Sean McVay and what he's done They are now one win away from eclipsing the six and a half, and I'll be doomed there. But to beat the Browns, 36-19, great performance there by Matthew Stafford. And we understand that Cleveland, they're going through it right now with the quarterback scenario. Of course, no Deshaun Watson, as we know. DTR, who got concussed last week. And when you have P.J. Walker, who I understand has been in and out of the lineup, and a guy that at times has played pretty well, but are you really going to... Hang your head on him? No, you're going to hang your head on Joe Flacco. Because just before 
You thought that P.J. Walker was going to step into the mix. Uh-uh. Joe Flacco, the Super Bowl hero of the Ravens a decade plus ago, who, for him, coming off the street in his first game, his numbers weren't that bad. But did you expect him to deliver them a win or really be in football shape against a Ram team with Aaron Donald, who was still a game-wrecking force on defense? Not the case. So the Rams were able to win 36-19. And put themselves right now, I believe, as the seventh seed in the NFC. So, and the Browns are still in the mix there. They are, I believe, sixth in the AFC. Again, we'll break that down a little bit later. You also have Detroit, who got off to a flying start, 21-0, before they hung on to win 33-28 over the Saints. And I would think I'll be safe when it comes to my over-under with New Orleans. I picked them as an under at 9.5. And, and right now they're, what, 5-7, and seven, I believe, where Atlanta beating the Jets, and that wasn't a game of perfection. That was reminiscent of that Jet-Giant game where it set football back 100 years. But they get a touchdown from Desmond Ritter, and the Jets can't do anything else. And it looks like they've already had four quarterbacks lined up under center this year. And even with Aaron Rodgers saying that he could come back and maybe save the day, but spare yourself, Aaron. The team is 4-8. and eight. I don't want to see them being in the hunt for any of these stupid prognostications there that you're going to see in these pregame shows, they are in the hunt for a first-round pick, probably in the top 10 when it's all said and done. So that's the only in the hunt I want to see when it comes to these teams that are way on the outside looking in. And that was just another future performance by the Jets there yesterday and not a stellar one by the Falcons, but they won the game and they are 6-6 and and they're just three games away from eclipsing and over, really an under, I should say, because I picked... Both Atlanta and New Orleans as unders. Atlanta 8.5, New Orleans 9.5. I think I'm safe with the Saints right now, but with the way the Falcons have performed here, beating the Saints last week and now the Jets here, and I believe the schedule doesn't get... It actually is pretty easy. Now they have Tampa, I believe, coming to their building, so that could be an opportunity for them to go 7-6, and six, but we'll wait and see there. But kudos to the Falcons for now being alone in first place in the NFC South. What else do I have from yesterday? Trimming any more fat? Oh, Miami killed Washington 45-15. No shock there. So firing Jack Del Rio, that wasn't the answer if you're Ron Rivera, who, as we all know, he's at the edge of his plank and he's going to fall over when this season ends. Or who knows? Maybe he'll be gone before season's end, have an interim, and then they'll get a coach for next year. But Tyreek Hill, another big game for him. Hill's a guy that looks to shatter the record Brooks held Record books, excuse me, held by Calvin Johnson, the 1,934 receiving yards, and he'll probably eclipse 2,000. Now, it's going to come with an asterisk because unless he does it in 16 games, if he's going to break Calvin Johnson and get 2,000 in the final game, week 17, with the extension of the season from 16 to 17 a few years back, to me, that record... Is it in the record books when it's all said and done? It is, but to me, it's not the full 16-game record, similar to J.J. Watt when he equaled Michael Strahan for the sack record a couple of years ago. Was it last year? No, it was two years ago because he was hurt most of the first half of last year. So you have to keep that in mind, but the Dolphins, they'll continue to beat up on these bad teams, 9-3, and three, as they're flying, excuse me, in the AFC East, and they should win that division in their sleep, considering that Buffalo is now 6-6, six and six. Had a bye yesterday, so they have a three-game lead, although Buffalo has the head-to-head. But unless the Dolphins are going to collapse here, they should go away with the AFC East. And that pretty much wraps it up. Oh, Denver-Houston, that was a big game where Houston won, and they hung on as well. But Russell Wilson did not have a good game through three interceptions, and the Texans got off to a big lead there before they hung on to win. And that was huge because the Texans... They have tiebreaker over Pittsburgh, as we talked about. Cleveland, they did not play this year. So when I take a look at the standings just in a moment, I'll break it all down. But that was a big win for the Texans, who need to stay in contention there with the other teams in the conference. And as I break it down, right now, here are your up to the second. And I'll get into more of this after next week, where we'll talk about schedules and what team is going to play against one another down the stretch because we'll get to the final quarter of the season after next week. But here is your conference as we take a look at the AFC first. Miami and Baltimore are tied at the top, 9-3. and three. 
But because of the conference record, Dolphins 6-2 and two, and the Ravens 6-3, and three, that's where the Dolphins have the one seed at this very moment. Followed by Jacksonville. Now, if Jacksonville wins tonight and they play Cincinnati, guess what? They will have the one seed because they currently have a 6-2 and two record in the conference. Beating Cincinnati, they'll be 7-2. and two, And who would have thought that after 13 weeks that the Jacksonville Jaguars could be a one seed? Not this guy. Then you have Kansas City at the 4. Right now they're 8-4. and four. Pittsburgh at 5, 7-5. and five. Cleveland is 6 because Cleveland and Pittsburgh, the reason why Pittsburgh is in the 5th seed, they have the tiebreaker because of the better division record. They have the same conference record, but Pittsburgh, again, better in the AFC North than the Browns. And then the Colts with that big win yesterday with a better record over the Texans, and that is because they have a better division record. I believe they split in the regular season, if I'm not mistaken. But the Colts have a better division record. They're 3-2, and two, where the Texans are 1-2, and two, and they still have three more division games out of their final five. So that's going to be interesting to see. But with the Texans on the outside looking in, Denver with that tough loss yesterday. Now, they'll have no tiebreaker against Houston, of course, with that win yesterday by the Texans. And I have to take a look to see what other tiebreakers off the top of my head. But Denver's on the outside looking in. Same for Buffalo at 6-6. Six and six, And we don't think Cincinnati will make it because of no Joe Burrow. And you can forget about the rest of the conference there. As far as the NFC, Philadelphia 10-2, and two, as we know. Even with the loss against the Niners yesterday. San Francisco's locked in at 2. Detroit, with their win against New Orleans, keeps pace with San Francisco. But because the Niners have a better conference record, that is the reason. 7-1 and one to Detroit 6-2. and two. That's why they have the 2 seed at this very moment. Your 4 seed is the Falcons 6-6. Six and six. Your 5 is Dallas, but again... They're breathing down the Eagles next with the matchup there Sunday night, as we know. Then you have Minnesota at 6-6, six six, who had a bye. Green Bay with their win yesterday. As a matter of fact, before Green Bay won last night, the Rams were in the seventh slot. But because the Packers beat the Rams earlier this year, they have the tiebreaker against the Rams. So therefore, they leapfrog over Los Angeles to get the seventh seed at this very moment. And then you have Seattle who, remember this, they got swept by the Rams, so they have no tiebreaker against them. And Seattle, did they play Green Bay? I don't think they play Green Bay this year, so if I take a look at their conference record, Seattle is 5-4, and four, Green Bay's 4-3, and three, so Green Bay has the advantage as of right this very moment, but they have two conference games in hand, so you have to keep that in mind. But Seattle, tiebreakers abound, and I'm not even going to include... Tampa or New Orleans, I understand that they are 5-7 and seven right now, but that's more for the division than it is for the conference. And that is your NFL Week 13 with Cincinnati and Jacksonville wrapping it up tonight, and which will be a snooze fest because of Jake Browning and not Joe Burrow. And like I mentioned, the scenario Thursday night, New England and Pittsburgh, an enormous game for the Steelers to keep themselves in pace with the aforementioned teams that are clogged at 7-5 and five in the AFC. All right, now let me put on my high tops and go through the association because it is now NBA Cup Week. Thought I'd never say that in my lifetime, but you have the quarterfinals tonight, tomorrow in Vegas, where you have the Celtics and Pacers tip off 7.30 tonight, followed by New Orleans and Sacramento. Tomorrow you have the Knicks and the Bucks. The first game, 7.30, followed by the... Suns and Lakers. As a matter of fact, I don't believe that is going to be... Those games, I believe, will be in their respective buildings. It's the semifinal and final that will be in Vegas. I don't think the matchups tonight and tomorrow in Vegas, so my apologies there, because I'm just thinking of the whole pop and circumstance that's going to take place in Sin City. So, one more time, that is my bad. I would think that the... Game will be in Indiana, Sacramento, Milwaukee, and L.A. for Boston, New Orleans, New York, the Knicks, and the Suns for them to square off to see who has the right to get to a semifinal. And the way the schedule works this week is that today and tomorrow are going to be the cup quarterfinals. Then you'll have a slate of games, almost a full slate of games with the other teams that aren't involved on Wednesday as well as Friday. And then you have the championship game for the Cup on Saturday. And then there are no games scheduled on Sunday. So interesting how the NBA is just going to take the whole day off. I get it that they don't want to go up against the NFL, which 
this time of the year, it doesn't matter. You can have Lakers Celtics play in an NBA final here in December. And no matter who's playing, no matter how high these stakes may be, the NFL is just going to obliterate anything that the NBA does. But the one thing that's good for the NBA is this, that if you get some buzz or some juice to where your final is, and I don't know what the bracket is, I should have that in front of me, but I'm sure they probably have it to where it could be Celtics and Lakers, or maybe even Bucks and Lakers, Celtics, Suns, some combination of sort, or even Knicks-Lakers, because it's New York-LA, you would think that that's how it's going to be with your East and West brackets. But the one good thing is that, although it's a Saturday night, I understand that everybody's going to be out and about, whether it's Christmas shopping, or maybe some holiday parties, or whatever it may be, but... At least the NBA will stand alone because you have no college football. Army, Navy is during the day. Nobody's going to watch the NHL and nobody's watching college basketball. And there are no NFL games to speak of, which will jumpstart the schedule, I believe, next week. Because you have the next two Saturdays or maybe, I know the following one for sure on the 23rd. As Let me take a look at that real quick. I should know that off the top of my head. But again, with the way the NFL is with their schedules, week in, week out, they could, I'm surprised they didn't start their Saturday schedule this week. They could have done that, but I guess out of respect to Army-Navy, who knows, but we all know they'll steamroll any sport that's in their wake. But for the NFL, their schedule, and I'll take a look here, week 14. No, their Saturday schedule will be the week after, which will be the 17th. No, that's what I said, right? Look at this. Here I am all over the map trying to just pick out when the Saturday schedule will begin. And yes, it is December 16th. And that's what it is. Pittsburgh, Indianapolis. I got my weeks all mixed up, so my apologies, people. Let's get it together, J-Reels. Come on now. Let's close this out strong. So anyway, Saturday night, going back to the NBA and the Cup Final, where if you have any one of those matchups, and I'm sure the last matchup they want is Indiana and Sacramento. And I get it. You're going to have a lot of young guns there, whether it's Tyrese Halliburton or obviously De'Aaron Fox. And remember, you had... A scenario where Tyrese Halliburton did play for Sacramento that trade with DeMontis Sabonis. So for the dying oil NBA fan, maybe they can look at that and bring out any attractiveness when it comes to that matchup, if that were to be. But we all know the association, they are hoping, fingers crossed, and on pins and needles to have Boston, LA, New York, LA, Milwaukee involved, even Phoenix involved in that final because anything short of that, let's face it, will be a disaster. So that is what we have here, and you know I'll keep myself on top of what's going on, and it's good because for Thursday's podcast, at least I could talk about the semifinals and get a bit of a feel there, and maybe even a preview as to what could lie in Sin City there come Thursday night and into the weekend. But as far as the NBA on a whole, what do I have for you? I know Kevin Durant is now 10th all-time in scoring as he eclipsed Moses Malone, and Katie, as we all know, he's going to be... First ballot, right out of the gate, 10th all-time, a scorer that we've never seen of that height, handle, shoot the three, post up. We get it. Kevin Durant is an all-timer, and now he's going to continue to move up the ranks of the scoring list, and where does he end up? Who knows, and who would have thought that a guy who played the majority of his career in Oklahoma City and obviously had a stop at Golden State, Brooklyn, and we knew coming out of Texas that he was going to be a great player, but now he could be an all-timer, maybe even approach the top 10 when it's all said and done. But let's see. It may be a little bit too early to tell or really to get into that, but the likes of his size and even his build, it's not as if he's seven foot and weighs 260. He's a thin rail. We know KD. I don't have to extol his praise or his achievements here in the NBA, but kudos to him for surpassing Moses Malone and being 10th all-time, the all-time scoring list. As far as anything else, I know Luka Doncic had his first child, and with that, had a triple-double to the likes of one that was, when you think about this, he even quoted as being exhausted, considering being there for the birth of his first child, and put up a 36-15-18 and performance and that included a 30 nothing run and they still lost Oklahoma City so could you imagine he even quoted by saying that it was the happiest day of my life with the baby but then today's game was a big roller coaster too I'm so sad we didn't win this game but man we gave it a big big effort imagine a team going on a 30 nothing run 
and having Luka put up those type of numbers and still lose? I know I'd be sick, and I understand it's a regular season game. Nobody's going to care come January, February, March. It's a matter of where Dallas is in the standings come April when the playoffs will begin. But when we take a look at the standings and overall, and also one other thing, I didn't think about this, Chris Porzingis is not going to play in the at least a quarterfinal matchup with the Cavs, so no shock there. They're not going to have Porzingis, so just keep that in mind to see if they're going to be a quick ouster here in this cup tournament. But the Celtics still at the very top. Orlando, who had their eight-game winning streak snapped, and we talked about Orlando here over the course of the last couple of podcasts. So for them to lose to the Nets of all teams, and again, it was on the road, so it could happen, and got blown out in the process. So Orlando nestled in at number two, a half game ahead of the Bucks. Sixers, who lost that first game and then won eight in a row. They have not played well since, four and seven since that great start. Knicks also playing pretty well, as we'll see them in the cup tournament. Other than that, other teams there in the East worth note. Nah, not really. I don't know the Heat 11-9, Cleveland 11-9. I think I picked Cleveland as an under this year because I think that number was in the 50s, which I said, nah, there's no way they're going to eclipse that. Out West is pretty much the same with Minnesota, Oklahoma City, your top two teams out West. Denver 14-7. and The Warriors are just sputtering outside of the top 10 in the conference. Lakers, you know, hanging around. Dallas has cooled off a little bit. Phoenix, eh, not really getting on track. Sacramento, Pretty much where they've been last year. They were a three seed, now they're in the four. Clippers trying to turn it around. They've actually played a little bit better, but right now ninth in the conference. And they actually beat Golden State in a big win for them. Pelicans, who you'll see in this tournament, below the Lakers there in that 7-10 to 10 bracket. That's what you got. Golden State's been a major disappointment, and you got to wonder what's going on in the locker room there, as I talked about in the past. The East is pretty much what it is. And that's your NBA, so let's see if this... Cup tournament is going to generate any buzz, any juice, any attention, and it starts tonight, so we will keep you guys abreast of what's going to go on there, especially come Thursday in the next podcast. And then NHL, there really isn't much to discuss there. There are a couple of newsworthy items, if I may. The Devils, Dougie Hamilton, he's out indefinitely, has pec surgery, their defenseman. That's a big blow, and the Devils have not played well here. They had a big year last year. And knowing that they're not going to have their top backliner certainly is going to hurt. Cole McCarr, who is injured, who knows how long he's going to be out. We all know that he is not just one of the top defensemen, but one of the top players in the sport. And who knows if it was a lower body or upper body injury. No, it's a lower body injury that looks like he suffered in the third period against Anaheim the other night. So who knows how long he's going to be out. I'm sure he's day-to-day. And having McCarr out, a guy who, like I mentioned, one of the top in the sport, that's going to be a tough blow for a Colorado team who has played well and fighting with Dallas there in the central. And then, did you see the goal by Penguin goalie Tristan Jarry? That's right, I said Penguin goalie. He adds his name to the record books as a guy who scored against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Empty netter there, when was it? Yesterday, I believe? No, it was a couple nights ago. Saying yesterday, I got my mind just looking at the schedule here. Where the Penguin goalie, who he's going to have to stand on his head the whole year because the Penguins, although they're trying to run it back with the same group to see whether or not that they could have one last go at it. And because this goal happened against the Lightning, see if they can get Lightning in a bottle. I know, terrible pun there. But he is the fourth goalie to score in the past 10 years. And we've seen a lot of that over the years, whether your name is Ron Hextall. Of course, Billy Smith was the very first one to score a goal, and that was unconventional. Hextall, he actually shot it into the opposing team's empty net where Billy Smith, if you remember, that was against the old Colorado Rocky franchise who moved to New Jersey, but because Billy Smith was the last Islander player to touch the puck, and as he tried to clear the puck out of the zone, and it went past the stick of the defenseman Rob Ramage, and somehow, some way, found its way across the goal line and into the back of the net, so Billy Smith was credited with that first goal, But ever since then, a lot of the goals have been pretty much done by goalies who are making an attempt at it. And Tristan Jarry is the most recent one doing so. So congratulations to him as the NHL continues its merry way. And anything else to really dive into there? Not necessarily. The Rangers continue to play well. 
atop the Metropolitans we talked about. Same for the Bruins. Panthers, I don't know the Islanders beat them the other day, so that was big for them as they get themselves. And they've actually played pretty well here. They're now fourth in the East, tied with the Flyers. But as that is, we all know it's a long season. Can't get wrapped up on the standings, at least for right this very moment, as teams are going to have their ebbs and flows, ups and downs, etc. And then lastly, with the winter meetings, as I put on my cleats, getting the batter's box, as we go through the... MLB, the Braves, I tell you, the way they wheel and deal, you would think that this team hasn't won a World Series in forever, hasn't been in the playoffs in forever, and despite two disappointing efforts against the Phillies in the division series, this team continues to make trades and continues to bolster their team. Whether that means trading Mike Sirocco away, their one-time ace, who's stumbled across a bunch of injuries over the last few years, whether they're bringing in all types of players and wheeling and dealing, like I said, like a team that's looking to take their team to the next step. And what do they do? They acquire Jared Kalenic. For those who don't know who he is, he was the former Met farmhand, the big piece in that Robinson Cano-Edwin Diaz deal many moons ago. And for Kalenic to now be a part of the Braves, who's not going to be a free agent until 2029, kind of sticks it to the Mets to see what he's going to do in a Brave uniform to put him in the outfield. I get that Marcelo Zuna, I don't know what his contract status is, and for all I know, he actually could be a free agent. But even if that's the case, or if even if that's not the case, they got a guy that's going to patrol the outfield who has a lot of hype and a lot of buildup coming into his major league career, but who's been, I'm not going to say a bust, but he's certainly been underwhelming to this point. Well, what do the Braves do? They go out and get a guy that, under the radar, who knows, could pay some big-time dividends for a Brave team that we all know is already loaded, so it's not as if he's going to face a lot of pressure. He's not going to be a guy that's going to have to carry this team. He could just kind of blend in and fit in with the rest of the guys, with the Acunas of the world, the Austin Rileys, the Ozzie Albies. You know the players. So the Braves continue to push their assault here in this offseason to do what they can to see if they could get back that brass ring that they got a couple of years ago. And that's on top of the Mariners. Think about this. They traded Eugenio Suarez, as we know, to the Diamondbacks. And you got to wonder what's happening there with the Mariners, a team that went to the playoffs last year, fell short this year, and now looks like they're trading off pieces. So I don't know. I'm sure if I was in the Pacific Northwest, I'd wonder what the hell my team is doing. But again, give it up to the Braves and trying to retool their team. We talked about Soroka being traded, also Kyle Wright, who was a 21-game winner two years ago. So they are doing what they can to fortify their roster and, of course, make their team as sustainable and formidable for years to come, the way to build an organization. And then other big news was that kid from the Milwaukee Brewers who hasn't even laced up his cleats and got into the batter's box for an at-bat just yet, I believe. 19 years old, they figured the hell with it, we're just going to pay him off right now, Jackson Churio, and if that isn't a household name, then I don't know what is, but he's a guy that is probably going to be the face of the Brewer franchise for at least the next eight years as he signed an eight-year, $82 million deal, and Churio is a center fielder, so you know he's going to patrol the outfield, I've never seen him play, I don't know who to compare him to. I don't know if he's an Andrew Jones type. I don't know if he has power, speed. I would think that he's a guy that obviously they're banking their franchise around this kid considering they gave a lot of money to Yelich a few years ago and they still have a few more years left on his contract. Well, they figure, uh uh-uh, we're going to make sure that this kid is going to be in the fold for years to come even if he happens to stumble across injuries, etc. We're not going to pay this guy $100, $200 million. Let's just pay him right out of the gate. And in fact, the deal could total up to $142 million when it's all said and done. So kudos to the Brewers for making that deal. Let's see how Chorio does. And again, here's a guy that he'll probably start in the minor leagues. I don't know if he's going to make the team because again, with that whole thing about building time and service, but you don't have to worry about that because he's already been paid. So if you're the front office of the Brewers, you might as well just bring him up now and let him go because... You don't have to worry about him buying out arbitration years and having to worry about him becoming a free agent and where he may go after that and you're going to get him for nothing. So you got that to deal with. 
And then let's see what's going to happen here over the course of these next few days down in Nashville that begun yesterday. Let's see what's going to happen to the likes of Yamamoto, the pitcher from Japan, Shohei Otani, other free agents that are looking to get a big payday. It's not really a sexy bunch when it comes to the free agent market, but we know who's out there. And let's see what's going to happen here. Maybe some trades could be consummated. Does Pete Alonso get traded? Does Juan Soto? That's a name that you know is going to be thrown around a lot here over the next few days from San Diego. So the hot stove, let's see if it heats up over the next few days. And you know yours truly is going to be all over that to see where these players are going to go, new addresses, new destinations, etc. As we continue to march on here, the month of December, through the rest of this calendar year as we get ready for another holiday season and another year just less. Think about this. Four weeks from today, people, will be New Year's Day. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books, as always. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for participating, for carving out precious moments out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, people. Write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just so we can increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. If you haven't done so, go to any of my social media accounts, my YouTube channel, at JReels, as I post content there daily when it comes to what's going on in the world of sports. I also have some vlogs that are going to be put up, not only in the weeks to come, but certainly once we get into 2024 and beyond. If you want to hit me up with a question, comment, suggestion, you could do so at the following on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels Podcast, on Twitter, X, JReels, one, just a number, or the old-fashioned way, the JReels Podcast at gmail.com. One more time, hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. Sports, I've been discussing it. I've been watching it. I've been following it pretty much since I come out of the womb. To share my fire, passion, energy, fury with my thoughts, opinions, feelings, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.